But we're going to start off tonight. We didn't have no videos last week, but we got two this week. So um, if I'm going to, I guess, label the service tonight or give the service or the, the title of a sermon tonight, uh, a title it would be uh, Nico and uh, what that would mean. If you're a Chosen fan and you watch it, you know that Nicodemus's wife calls him Nico, and uh, I think that's pretty neat. So we're, uh, we're going to be talking about Nicodemus tonight. So watch these two videos, and, and we'll get the full picture of what God's laid on my heart here in just a minute. Joshua, how many more in the night? Some 300, sir. Where will you bury them? Men are trying to dig a trench, but the ground is hard and rocky. With respect, Moses, my concern is not for the dead, but for the dying. Hundreds fall by the day, and for every serpent we kill, another 10 appear. Maybe we should leave the bodies here, in this tent. At the rate people are dying, there would not be enough room, even if we stacked them to the top. Then we'll have to leave and find someplace else. We're not leaving anytime soon. Too many people are sick and cannot walk. After today, the only Hebrews too sick to walk will be those who choose to remain so. Is there medicine in that bronze? You told the people that you would ask God to forgive their rebellion. To heal their serpent wounds. I did. Then why are you hiding in a tent? It wasn't my idea, Joshua. That is a pagan symbol. You did not ask him if you were sure. Maybe you misunderstood him. I've learned to do what he says without questioning. You remember what happened at Meribah. Just to be sure, we could send a messenger to Izion Gip or beg for aid. That Poe. Hand me that Poe. The people will say it is a cruel joke. Let them say that. Help me understand. None of this makes any sense. How do you explain the Red Sea? The man in the coil? The pillar of fire? Joshua, any Israelite who looks upon this bronze serpent and believes in the power of Adonai will be healed. It's an act of faith. Not reason. Is a good idea. Why not? Well, could be a trap. 
Nicodemus cooperates with Rome. They're the ones who sent him to marry when she was possessed in the Red Quarter. I am well acquainted with risks, Simon. Uh, so are you, if I remember our first meeting correctly. Hmm? Risk is his oldest friend, I'm afraid. <laughs> Simon, Mary is an excellent judge of character. She has known some of the worst kinds of men in this world. And she finds him earnest. You should trust her instincts. And mine. <coughs> Rabbi, I've got it. Ah, let's take a look. Can you keep her quiet, please? No one needs to know my sick. I can't tell her not to cough, Simon. I just don't want our burdens to become his, okay? I don't want to be the one to distract him. He's made up his mind about you. He's not going to kick you out of the group. It's perfect. Well done. Well, I think I can fit all of you in here with me, huh? <laughs> you won't be recognized in that. Has the owner of the house given permission? It's all arranged, Rabbi. And I'll be waiting at the door. Thank you, Andrew. You go on ahead, but remember to relax. You are there to guide our guest, not to be my protector. Are you sure you don't want me to come? The more eyes watching the streets for trouble, the better. Not tonight, Simon. Stay here with your wife and your mother-in-law. You see? Mm. Welcome, Nicodemus. Don't be alarmed. He's waiting for you. asked the owner of this house for more lanterns, but he said they would draw attention. Yes, I imagine they would. The human eye is drawn to light. We can't help it. It just happens. There are many things we are drawn to without our thinking or our ability to explain why. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. No help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? 
I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <laughs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear it sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt, and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents, and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about... Sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students, I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Follow you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life? To, to give up who I am? It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and, and wonder. It can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> I 
I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. We don't have to do that. What are you doing? Kiss the sun. Lest you be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. could only imagine the conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus had upon that rooftop that night. We get the words out of the book of John. If you would, open your Bibles up, John chapter 3, and we will read starting in verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This Man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is in him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of spirit. Nicodemus answered, and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven. That is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to leave the rest of that for, for the next time we come back and, and we start looking at John. But tonight I want to look and let us see who was Nicodemus. Who was this Pharisee of Pharisees? Who was this teacher of teachers? And, and all we really know is what's really written in the Gospel of John. That's, and, and we see there in John 3, 1, right from the beginning, he is described as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were groups of Jews who, who were all about keeping the letter of the law and often opposing Jesus and his ministry. Jesus often strongly denounced them for their, for their legalism. And in Matthew 23, you can go and read that and see how he denounced them. And Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, he was also a Pharisee. 
And the Pharisees were an influential uh, religious sect with Judaism in the time of Christ and in the early church. And, and they were known for their emphasis on, on personal petty. And that word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew, which means separated. Isn't that interesting? They sure separated themselves from Christ, didn't they? Their accountants of the oral tradition in addition to the law uh, and, their, and their teaching that all Jews should observe all 600 plus uh, laws that are written in the Torah, there, that are written in Deuteronomy, including the rituals concerning ceremonial purification. Now, the Pharisees were, were mostly middle-class businessmen and, and, and leaders in the synagogue, though they were a minority in the Sanhedrin. And we'll talk a little bit more about who the Sanhedrin is here in just a little bit. And they, they held the minority number of positions as priests. They seemed to be uh, the control and the decision-making factor of the Sanhedrin because they had a lot of popular support among them, though. So they, although they were small, they were pretty mighty. And among the Pharisees were there were two schools, and if you watch The Chosen very much, you'll hear these two names mentioned by, by Nicodemus and, and some of the other priests that are in, in The Chosen, based on the teaching of the two rabbis, Shammai and Himel. Shammai called for the strictest. He called for the, the unbending interpretation of the law on almost every issue. But, but Hillel, he, he, he thought a little looser. He was a little bit more liberal kind of Pharisee in the application of the law. Now, the followers of Shammai, they fostered a hatred for, for everything that was Roman, including the taxation. And they did not like the Jewish tax collectors. And then the, and the, uh, the Shamites wanted to outlaw all communication and commerce between the Jews and the Gentiles. So they, didn't even, they wanted to keep even that separate as well. Where the, the Hillatites, however you say that, they took a more gracious approach and opposed such extreme exclusiveness. Eventually, these two schools within, within this, these Pharisees, they grew so hostile to each other, they wouldn't even come to the temple and worship each other. Sounds like some, some churches that we know in our common day, doesn't it? The Pharisees accept the written word as inspired by God, but unfortunately the Pharisees gave equal authority to their oral traditions, saying that the traditions went all the way back to Moses. Evolving over the centuries, these traditions had the effects of adding uh, to God's word, which is forbidden. According to Deuteronomy 4, Verse 2, it says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. The gospel abounds with examples of the Pharisees treating their traditions as equal to God's word. In Matthew 15, 1 through 9, we get such a story, and it's such an example. It says that then the, the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your traditions? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God. Then he, 
need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made it the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, he calls them. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, Jesus applied the, con- the condemnation of, of Isaiah twenty nine thirteen to the Pharisees, saying their teachings are merely human rules. The Mishnah, for example, is one of their writings. It holds a lot of their traditions and their, and their sayings and, and, and all their rules and all their regulations. And, and there are 24 chapters alone that deal just with how you're supposed to act on the Sabbath. 24 chapters of just how you're supposed to act on the Sabbath. But I remember God only give one rule, one law about the Sabbath. And he says, remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. But yet they've come up with 24 chapters of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. John 3, 1 also describes Nicodemus as that, that leader of the Jews. According to John 7, 50 through 51, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a ruling body of the Jews. The term Sanhedrin is from the Greek word that means assembly or council, and the dates and it dates back to the Hellenistic period. In the but the concept started in the Bible, and these uh, traditions started in the Bible with these men. In the Torah, God commands Moses. He says to bring me seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people, having them come to the tent of meetings, that they may stand there with you. Numbers eleven sixteen is where you find that. And then in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, verse 18, it reads this, And you shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in your towns, which the Lord your God is given you according to your tribes, and they shall judge over the people with righteous judgment. The Sanhedrin were these judges. Uh, the land was divided among the tribes, and in those areas of the tribes, their, they had, their presence was there, and there were towns and villages, and every town and, and every single village had its own little court inside. And there were, if there were 120 men as heads of the families in those towns, uh, they had a local court, and they called that court the Sanhedrin. And in the little smaller towns, if there were less than 120 the heads of family there, they would have three judges if it was a really small town, and it'd be seven judges if it was just a, just a regular town. And they would sit in that court both as judge and jury in all the matters that happened in the town. And then the great Sanhedrin, that was the supreme court of ancient Israel. It was made up of 70 men and the high priest in the second temple period. And the great Sanhedrin, they would meet in the temple at Jerusalem the court convened every day except when they had festivals and when they had the Sabbath. And the Sanhedrin, as a body, they claimed powers that the lesser Jewish courts did not have. And such as they were the only ones who could try the king or extend the boundaries of the temple and Jerusalem. They held all the power. And they were the ones to whom all questions of law were finally put. The last binding decision of the Sanhedrin was in about 558 
AD when the Hebrew calendar was adopted. The Sanhedrin was soon after dissolved uh, after that continued persecution by the Roman Empire. And in the New Testament, the Sanhedrin is really best known for their part in a, a series of mock trials that resulted in the crucifixion of Jesus. The Sanhedrin began with an informal examination of Jesus before Annas, and we talked a little bit about Annas last week, how he was the, a great and corrupted high priest. He was the acting priest at that time, and that's in John 18. And you, can, you can read through there and, and see that for yourself. And followed that they, by a formal session before the entire Sanhedrin. And there that decision was made to turn Jesus over to the Romans authorities to be tried and to be crucified. Now, John tells us that Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus at night. And many have speculated that Nicodemus was afraid or ashamed to visit Jesus in the broad daylight. So he made his way by a nighttime visit. This may very well be the case, but the text doesn't really give us a reason for the timing of his visit. And a number of other reasons are also possible. Nicodemus questioned Jesus as a member of the Jewish ruling council, as a member of that Sanhedrin. Maybe that's why he was there. It would have been his responsibility to find out about any teachers and their, and their public figures who, who might lead people astray. So they would do that. They would go and question those people. But we don't know the reason for sure. All we know is that what the Bible has given us. And that's what we'll stick to, correct? We'll stick to what the Bible gives us. Now, I think he was looking for answers, though. I think he was there seeking who this man Jesus was because he had seen the signs. And in their conversation, Jesus immediately confronts Nicodemus with the truth that he must be born again in John 3.3. 3. With Nicodemus, it, seemed, uh, it just seemed that Jesus had some credibility. And, but when he tells him that he must be born again, Jesus kind of maybe gently reprimands Nicodemus. And says, you are a Jewish leader. You should already know this stuff. You know what the Old Testament says. And we've been studying the Old Testament. We've been finding Jesus in, in every book of the Bible. And we've made it all the way through Psalms. And I tell you what, we can find pictures of Jesus all through the Old Testament. So he was never visible to them. And Jesus goes on to give further explanation of the new birth. And in the context that we find in John 3.16, which is probably one of the most well-known and beloved verses in the whole Bible. And I bet everybody in this room could probably recite it from heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a verse that we can all give testimony to. And the next time we encounter Nicodemus in the Bible, he is functioning as an official capacity, as a member of that Sanhedrin. They are considering what to do with Jesus. And in John 7, some of the Pharisees and the priests, they, uh, presumably with authority to do so, sent some of their temple guards to arrest Jesus, but they returned unable to bring themselves to do it. And you can read that in John 7. And the guards... They're unabraded by the Pharisees in authority. But Nicodemus presents the opinion that Jesus should not be dismissed or condemned until they have heard from him personally. 
And he says, does our laws judge a man without first giving him a hearing and, and learning what he does? However, the rest of the council rudely dismissed Nicodemus' suggestion. Said it was out of hand. They appeared to have already made up their minds about who this Jesus was. And the final mention of Nicodemus in the Bible is, is in John chapter 19 after Jesus' crucifixion. We find Nicodemus assisting Joseph of Arimathea in Jesus' burial. And Joseph is described in John as a rich man and in Mark 15, 43, as a member of the council. He's also described in John 19, 38 as a disciple of Jesus, albeit a secret one because he was afraid of the Jews. Now, Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices to use in preparing the body for the burial of Jesus to assist Joseph in wrapping the body and placing it in the tomb. And the sheer amount of burial spices would indicate that Nicodemus was probably also a rich man as well. But I believe he had great respect for Jesus because those two men tenderly took him off the cross and bandaged him up and put those spices on there and laid him in a tomb. You know, the, limit, the limited account in John's gospel leaves us with many questions about Nicodemus, who he was, was he saved, was he a true believer, what did he do after the resurrection? And the Bible's silent on all those questions. And there's no reliable uh, extra-biblical sources that we can go to to find those answers. And it would appear that Nicodemus may have been similar to Joseph of Arimathea. And perhaps, too, he was a disciple of Jesus, but not yet mustered up the courage to declare his faith outright and openly. Perhaps Nicodemus' final record, recorded act was his real true declaration of faith when he helped with Jesus' body off the cloth or off the cross. Although we're not told how public it was, he still done it. And it's still recorded in John's gospel. His presentation in the Gospel of John is, is generally favorable, suggesting that he probably had faith. And it was genuine indeed. And that leaves us with questions on what genuine faith looks like so we look at our own lives and we examine it what does your faith in Jesus look like ask yourself that question tonight what does your faith in Jesus look like we know from John 2 23 and 25 which we just studied last week that Nicodemus was attracted to Jesus because of the signs and the miracles that he performed and many others were, as well, attracted by Jesus' miracles and his signs. But Nicodemus had questions, too. He had questions. And he went to Jesus, and he wanted those questions answered. And Jesus went on, and he goes on to say here in our story tonight, to answer those questions. But he answers the question with the story out of the Old Testament. Something Nicodemus should have known. Something that we should know as well. And here's that story. It comes out of Numbers 21, 4 through 9. And you've seen just a little bit of that story played out between Moses there a while ago. And it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. 
And the people spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, and there is no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. They were speaking of that manna. So the Lord sent the fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord for us that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. Set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks upon shall live. So Moses made that bronze serpent, and he put it on the pole. And so it was. If the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Nicodemus asked, Jesus answered, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, and he said to him, you are the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and we do not receive our own witness. If you do not receive our own witness, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who come down from heaven that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Much as the serpent was lifted up on the pole, so the Son of God would be lifted up on the cross. Why? To save us from sin, to save us from death. In the camp of Israel, the solution to the serpent problem was not killing the serpent. It wasn't making medicine. It wasn't pretending that the serpents weren't there. It wasn't passing anti-serpent laws, which they like to do, the Jews like to do those, pass those their own laws. Or it was climbing the pole. The answer was to look by faith at the uplifted serpent. The whole world has been bitten by sin. Do you realize that? The whole world has been bitten by sin, and the wages of sin is death. And God sent his son to die not only for Israel, but he sent him to die for the whole world. How is a person born again? How is he or she saved from eternal perishing? By believing on Jesus and by looking to him in faith. On January 6, 1850, it was a snowy, almost a snowy night. It almost crippled the city of uh, Colchester, England. And a teenage boy was unable to make it to the church that he usually wanted to try to attend. So he made his way down to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared layman had stepped in and substituted for an absent preacher. His text was Isaiah, 50, or Isaiah 45, 22. And that verse says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And for months, many months, this young teenager had been miserable and had been under deep conviction, but he had been raised in church because both his dad and his grandfather were both 
pastors, preachers. And he did not have the assurance of salvation. And the unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say. So he kept repeating the text, kept repeating the verse, and he kept repeating this right here. A man need not go to college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he seen the visitor off to the side, sitting in the corner. And he pointed to him and he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man, look to Christ. The young man did look by faith that night. And that young man was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers we've probably ever known. He was convicted that night because he looked to Jesus in faith. The difference between perishing and living and between condemnation and salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus could well have come to this world to judge it and destroyed it. And just took out all of us rebellious sinners. But he didn't do that. Instead, he loved. He came to this world as our Savior. And he died for us on a cross. He became the uplifted serpent. The serpent in Moses' day brought physical life to the dying Jews. But Jesus Christ gives eternal life to anyone who trusts in him. He has salvation for the whole world. So really, Nicodemus had a lot of questions. But tonight, the question is this. Have you looked to Jesus in faith for your salvation? Have you looked and seen him high and lifted up? Have you seen him in his glory that he was on that cross and what he did for you? Do you have faith that his death, that he took away those sins when he was on that cross and he placed them on himself so that you could be forgiven of them? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was placed in a tomb? Do you believe that he rose from the grave? Do you believe that he defeated death? And if you don't believe those things, young man, young woman, child, adult, young, old, it don't matter. All you have to do is look to Jesus. All you have to do is have faith in him for your salvation. I don't know if Nicodemus was saved or not. I believe that he probably was just by what we've seen him put to action. But tonight, I know the question lies within you. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in him that he has done all of this for your benefit? I hope that is the case. As our instrumentalists come to play tonight, every head bowed and every eye closed, Look deep within yourself and ask yourself that question. Have I looked to Jesus Christ in faith for my salvation? And if you haven't, I'd love to show you in Scripture how you could add your name to that, that list that's in heaven, the, the names that have been written down, those in the Lamb's book of life. If that's you, we can... We can show you through Scripture how you can give your life to Him. Start a, on a new course. Start a new path to serving Him. You're here tonight as a Christian. 
just need to be praising him and thanking him for what he's done for you.